have a seat. My name is Byron. If you're a guest, welcome. I am so glad that you joined us because we are in an exciting season here at our church. We introduced last week what we're going to be calling Multiply. What is Multiply? It is a two-year discipleship initiative around generosity that is going to enable us to be able to multiply our ministry efforts from Beaumont and beyond. It's an exciting time. There's never been a better time to jump in what God is doing here at Redemption as we help more people experience life change through. Last week was incredible. Amen. I mean, it's exciting to share this new vision with you. If you missed it last week, you can listen online on YouTube or Spotify, but I'll go ahead and catch you up to speed. Guys, if you didn't hear, now you know, we are building a new building for Redemption. That's right. We are going to be starting construction very soon on our new building, and it's the entire city block here in downtown, and it will have a 600-seat sanctuary to be able to welcome all of our guests and our friends and our family to be able to hear the message of the gospel. In addition, we have been given for free a new building in Port Natchez, Texas, that we will be planting a second campus in the next few years, so Redemption Camp. Mid-County, coming soon. Come on, somebody. Beyond that, we want to continue to invest in our current ministries like Next Gen and worship, production. We have a dream to be able to start a special needs ministry here in Southeast Texas. And we have also increased our missions giving local and globally to $160,000 over the next two years years. There is an exciting time to be a part of what God is doing. And now listen, you can find all that information right here on page 33 in your generosity guidebook. Did you bring it with you this week? Okay. It's okay. Cause you know what? Our ushers have some available to you. So if you do not have it, go ahead and slip your hands up. Our ushers are going to pass out. We got some generosity guidebooks. Slip your hands up. If you did not bring it, then you can bring it next week. I'm not going to make you feel bad this week if you didn't bring it. But if you don't bring it next week, I'm going to make you feel bad, all right? But you can bring it to church every Sunday, and then you can also bring it to your small group. And if you're not in a small group, you can join me and Ashley on Tuesday nights right here at 7 o'clock. And we have our big group with Redemption Kids and all of our big group here as well. But if you open up to page 33... In your guidebook, you're, you're going to see what the goals behind Multiply is. So what is the goals? Well, we have three areas that we're going to be focusing on for the next two years of our church. The, the first area is we're going to be focusing on our current ministries that we provide. Everything that you love about redemption is going to be multiplied. And so we're going to focus on our current areas, and that's going to be about $1.4 million over the next two years. And then in addition to that, we're not going to focus on what God is currently doing, but we're also going to begin looking to the future. And that's the new building. That's the second campus. And that's all of the future growth, including the special needs ministry and all the stuff that God is leading us towards to be 1.44 million. And then $160,000, which has been pledged to local and foreign missions. And that brings the grand total of Multiply to $3 million. And so some of you are like that. Is that possible? Well, I'll tell you how it is possible is that we don't focus on the amount, but rather we focus on our attitudes 
throughout this process because the $3 million is actually our secondary goal. Like that's not the most important goal that we have behind Multiply. What is the most important goal? Well, the most important goal is that it is a 100% engagement. That is our primary goal. So what do we mean by that? We mean that anyone and everyone who calls Redemption Church home, people who love redemption, that we would go all in and that we would be generous and we would give in a way that is both meaningful and significant. That as a church, we would do what the Macedonians did last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. Here's what it says, that they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us. So what does that mean? That they put God first, that they gave their heart to God. They gave their trust to God. They gave their priorities to God. They, they loved God first and out of their love for God overflowed generosity towards the church. And guys, I truly believe that if as a church, we would focus on God first, then the rest would be blessed. Like if we are successful in our primary goal, then I believe we will succeed in our secondary goal. Like if we focus on our primary goal, which is 100% engagement, everybody who calls redemption home to pray, to plan, and to participate in this movement, then multiply is not only possible, but guys, it is providential, that God is going to show up and move in amazing ways. And so what we're doing to be able to help us accomplish this goal is we're walking verse by verse, line by line through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. It is the largest theological treatise in the Bible around the subject of generosity. Paul is laying out what happens when a church gets behind this vision of audacious and radical generosity. And last week we looked about how we grow in our generosity. And if you remember, we don't grow in our generosity by focusing on the amount, but rather by focusing on the attitude. See, generosity is not about your income, but rather it is about your outlook. It's about your outlook on on life. And that's what he talked about. How do we grow in our generosity? By growing in our love for Jesus. Today, if you have your Bibles, turn me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 8, where the sermon title is Understanding the Reason Behind Generosity. But before we get started, I want to open up by telling you a joke. Now, I don't normally tell jokes because um, I just talk about my life, and oftentimes my life is a joke. Um, but I'm gonna start off by, by telling a joke. Now there's two men who were stranded on a desert, desert island. And one turned and looked at another one and he says, oh my God, we're gonna die out here. There's no water, there's no food, and no one is ever gonna find us. The other guy turns, looks at him and said, don't worry about it, I make a million dollars a week. And he says, bro, you don't understand, your money's no good here. You can't buy anything. There's no food, no water, and nobody knows we're here. We're doomed. And he said, bro, you don't understand. I make a million dollars a week, and I tithe 10%. And the guy looked at him like it's crazy. He's like, bro, like, your money is no good here. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I make a million dollars a week, and I tithe 10% a week. Any day now, my pastor will find me. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm gonna find you, all right? <laughs> I'm gonna put a GPS tracking system in you. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the reason that God wants us to be generous. Like, does anybody find it funny? Like, why does God want money? Like, why does God ask for money? Like, why is the Bible filled with 
commands and with instructions and with challenges around the subject of, of money and generosity. I mean, he's God, right? Like, he made the heavens and the earth. Why does he need my money? Like, if he wants to build out this new building, he could get a host of heavenly angels to come and heavenly contractors would finish it next week and we could have our grand opening. Like, God could do that. He could just snap his fingers, and every missionary would be fully supported, every kingdom work would be fully accomplished, and every church would have more than they need to be able to do the things that God has called them to do. And yet, God still invites us to participate with him through our sacrificial giving and our generosity. Anybody ever just wonder, like, why does God want our money? Well, I'll tell you something. God doesn't need your money. It's not about the money. In fact, it's not even your money because the Bible says it all belongs to him. That the silver is mine, the gold is mine, thus say the Lord, the cattle on a thousand hills, that he is sovereign over all of creation, by him, to him, for him. All things are held together and they move and have their being. Like, like it all belongs to God. But the reality is, is that God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. It's much deeper than money. See, the Bible talks about money more than faith, more than prayer, more than heaven and hell combined. And I don't believe that it's because money is the most important thing to God, but so oftentimes money is the most important thing to us. That money promises that it can provide the very things that God says he wants to give to us. Money can provide joy and happiness and money promises success and identity and security and comfort and blessings, but money never makes good on its promises. Only God is able to provide those things in our lives. And so God doesn't ask for money because he wants something from you, but rather because he wants something for you. He wants your heart. On the dollar bill, it says, in God we trust. But for most people, we should say, in this we trust, because we trust that money is going to provide the very things that God says he wants to give. This is why Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. Therefore, you cannot serve both God and money because money promises what only God is able to provide. Listen, it is not about money. It is about your heart. It's not about what's in your wallet, but rather it is about what is in your heart. Where your treasure is, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. Listen, my friends, God doesn't want your money. He wants your hearts. And so he invites us to be generous because God wants your heart. Today, Paul is going to give us three big reasons so that way we can understand generosity. If you open up your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll read it all up front, make some observations, and then I want to give you three reasons that God encourages us, challenges us to be generous. Here's what it says. I say this to you not as a command, but to prove by your earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by your poverty you, he, you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. 
So now finish doing it well so that in your readiness, in desiring, it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at this present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever has gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, we were unable to really dive into the historical, cultural context of 2 Corinthians last week. And so what I want to do is I want to take just a moment and I want to like set up the scene about why Paul is writing this section of the Bible. Some people, they might ask, is it appropriate for a church to do a, a generosity initiative? Is it appropriate for a, a church to do a, a building campaign? Is, is it biblical for redemption to do what we're doing right now? And the answer is yes, that's exactly what 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is. That Paul is actually on a generosity initiative, raising funds to be able to support the ministries and the future ministries that are happening back in Jerusalem. See, what he's talking about here is he's not taking up an offering for the church in Corinth. He's taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And so the church in Corinth is already giving of their tithes and offerings to the local church. Paul's coming around and he's asking for an expanded giving opportunity for them. And so he, we find this generosity campaign actually starts in the book of Galatians. That the early church, they sent Paul out to be a missionary. And here's what they said. They said, as you go out and reach the Gentiles, do not forget the poor in Jerusalem. So they commissioned Paul to travel to all of the plants, the churches that he's planted and raise funds to bring back to the mother church so that they could continue to plant and send out more churches. And what we saw last week is that Paul had already talked to them about this a year previously. That's why he says right here, I talked to you about this a year ago. And we also find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Here's, here's what Paul writes to them. He says, in this matter, I give my judgment that this benefits you uh, who started not only a year ago, but desire to do it now finish it well. Because a year earlier in 1 Corinthians, he says this, on the first day of the week, set aside some money. And when I come back, we will take up the collection so that way we can be able to give it to the church in Jerusalem. And last week in the first eight chapter verses, here's what we saw, that the Macedonians had already made good on their commitments. In fact, the Macedonians, it says they begged to give generously. Like, when was the last time you ever heard somebody begging to, to give, right? I mean, I would love if our whole church just had that attitude. Like, pastor, please just let me give more money, right? But that's the heart of the Macedonians. And so what he says to the church in Philippi, they've already not only met their commitment, but they went above and beyond their commitment out of their poverty, it overflowed with the wealth of generosity. The church in Thessaloniki already made good on their commitment. The church in Berea already made good on their commitment. And Philippi, they made good on their commitment. But yet the Corinthians, they still have not yet fulfilled their pledge. And so Paul is writing to them, encouraging them, challenging them, motivating them and saying, hey guys, it's time for us to get in on the giving. It's time for you to, to learn the audacious joy that comes when we give generously. And he's telling about what happens when a church understands the role of generosity in furthering the gospel. 
across the world. But he also understands this, that he can't make anyone do anything. Isn't that so frustrating? Like, don't you wish you could just make people do stuff? Right, my daughter's six and I can't get her to do anything, right? Parents, you understand that, right? You say, hey, clean your room. And then two hours later, it's still not clean. And now she has 17 reasons why she doesn't have to clean her room. And now the living room's dirty too, right? I wish we could just make people do stuff, but we can't. People have to want and desire to do those things. I wish he could just say, I'm commanding you to do this, but he's not commanding them to do this. Like at church, we don't have a church tax. Like you're not getting charged on your way in the door, right? With $5 to enter. Like we don't do a church tax. We have to pay $10 for your seat or $100 for your monthly subscription to be a member of Redemption Church. Instead, what the Bible relies on is generosity from the hearts of its people. We can't make anyone do anything. But then he says this in verse eight. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove your earnestness that your love is true. Listen, generosity is not a command, it's a test. It's a test to see whether or not you really love God. You say, but Byron, that's highly manipulative. Like if I were your, if I was the pastor and I said that, like, hey, nobody has to give, but, but if you don't give, then it's really just a test, a test to see where your love truly is. If I said that to you, people would be like, spiritual abuse and walking out the door and doing a podcast about me. But you know what? I didn't say that. God did. It's not my words, it's Paul's words. Paul straight up says, hey, you don't have to do this, but if you don't, I question your love for God. I question whether you really love your church. I question whether or not you're really saved in the first place. Paul says, you don't have to do it, but this is a test. It's a test to see if your love is genuine. Another way to say this is this, is as a Christian, you don't have to give. You should want to. People say, I don't have to give. I don't have to tithe in order to be a Christian because I am saved by grace through faith. I don't have to do anything to be a Christian, but to give my life. Listen, Christianity is all about giving. It's about giving your life to Christ. It's about surrendering yourself to Christ. It's about giving him your sin and giving him all of you. And in return, God, it will give him, give you himself. It's all about giving. Generosity is the heart of the gospel message. And so my question for you is this, if you don't want to give, have you really given your life to Christ? Because if you did, your heart would overflow to, be, to give to the things that God loves. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith. Why? For good works. And what's this good work? The good work is to get in on the giving and to be generous like Jesus was to you. We are saved by grace through faith. Therefore, we give by grace through faith. As Christians, we should want to give. Like when I see the amount of life change that is happening here at Redemption, like I can't help but give. Like, did you know that last week I did a, I did a wedding immediately after the third service right here because a couple who went through our membership class were so convicted about living together, they were ready to get married right now. That's what God's doing. I mean, we had a woman who was healed last week just through prayer. It's what God is doing. I mean, we have a woman in our church who's followed on hard times. And because of the generosity of the people, we were able to get her into a new place for this month because of the giving of this church. 
I mean, we had a woman who, she lost her, her child. Uh, the child only lived five days. People in the church actually bought a headstone for that, for that baby. That's how generous our church is. When I look around and I see that addicts are being delivered and when I see souls are being set free, when I see that bodies are being healed, when depression is being lifted, when people who haven't been in church for 15 years walk through the doors and they give their life to Christ. We got 12 people waiting to be baptized right now. I can't help but give when I think about what God is doing in this place. I want to give. You say, Byron, you don't have to give. You can't stop me for giving. Like, I want to give. I have to, I, I get to give. It's a privilege to give. I want to get in on the giving. I want to give because what God has done in this church, I can't help it. Yeah. As a Christian, you don't have to give. You should want to give. And that's what Paul is going to get at as he's talking to the Corinthians. He's going to give them three major reasons. People say, I would like to give but I just can't give. Or maybe they say, I don't want to give. Listen, if you're still thinking that giving is about money, you're missing the picture. If it's not about having enough or having too little, money is not a financial problem. Money is a heart problem. And so if you don't want to give, it's not because you have a money problem. It's because you have a heart problem. You have yet to trust God with all of your heart. And so he's gonna get into the reason why God asks us to give. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. The, the first reason Paul tells us that as Christians we give is because generosity is about sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? That's a big fancy $3 word. I learned it at college and you get it for free. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. Yeah. See, a lot of times people think, oh, the goal of the Christian life is to die and go to heaven. Like, how morbid is that, right? Like, give your life to Jesus, and then you go to heaven. Yay, but what happens in the middle? It's this thing called life. Do you have one? I used to have one before I had kids, but now I don't, all right? <laughs> right but life is very important. And what God wants to do in your life is what the sanctification process is. And Paul's going to show us that, that generosity is about sanctification. Look what he says. I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of your love that your love is also genuine. It's a, it's a test. For you know by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. Now, pop quiz, was Jesus rich or poor? There is no class warfare in the kingdom. That's only in American politics. People say, to be rich, to be poor. Was Jesus rich or poor? The answer is yes. He was both. Because where is Jesus from? Raise your hand if you're from Beaumont. Raise your hand if you're Port Natchez. Orange. Houston. There we go. Where's Jesus from? Heaven! How rich are they in heaven? Rich. You know how rich they are? They have streets made of gold. Like, you know, like, you ain't hurting when, like, God's like, hey, God, yes, me, yes, you, no, me, oh, yes, you, me, God, right? What do you want to do with all of this gold? I don't know, let's build a highway out of it. He's pretty rich. Pearly gates, sea of crystal, mansions with multiple rooms, and Jesus is king, and he sits on a throne. He's rich. But yet he gave it all away to come down and become poor. And he was born in a rural town in the middle of nowhere to an unwed mother and a blue-collar carpenter stepdad. 
And then he goes and he goes into public ministry and it says the birds have their nests and the foxes have their dens, but the son of man has no place to rest his head. Like Jesus couldn't pay his taxes. And so you know what they did? They went, they went fishing. And they were like, hopefully there's a coin in this fish's mouth because we can't find anything. Like, you know, you're broke when a catfish and a coin is your only hope, right? And it says that as he died naked, hanging on the cross, he couldn't afford a tomb. And so he had to borrow one from somebody else. Jesus was poor. Why would he do that? For your sake, he gave it all away. How generous is God? Oh, he is so generous. He gave up everything for you. He gave it away. So that way you might be rich, not just in earthly treasures, but in heavenly treasures. First Peter, three, First Peter 1 says this, that you are a co-heir with Christ. That's how, that's how rich you are. Everything that was Christ has now been afforded to you. You are a son of God, which means you receive the inheritance. First Peter 1 says, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's not just earthly riches, but heavenly riches that are awaiting you. And Jesus gives it all to you. And how much does it cost you? Nothing. It's free because he freely gives it away to you. Listen, my friends, you are most like Jesus when you learn to give. If you want to be like Jesus, get a generous heart and give generously. How generous is Jesus? Let us just count thine ways. That Jesus, he gave us the heavens and the earth and light and day and the sun and the moon and the stars and the universe. Like when you were driving this morning downtown and you saw the gold on the horizon with that sunset, that is a gift that God has given to you. He's given you breath in your lungs. He's given you the ability to work with your hands. He's given you your mind and your intellect. He gave you your job and your vocation. He gave you your family and your spouse and your children. He, he gave all of this generously to you and that is just the common grace of God that's not only the special revelation that you receive so what do we receive as Christians here's what we get we get the greatest gift ever God himself Jesus gives us himself he comes and he gives us the perfect life you never could live. He gives you the painful death in your place, paying off the penalty and the debt that you accrued because of your sin. He goes to the cross and through his shed blood, he gives you righteousness and grace and salvation and hope and mercy and peace. And then through the resurrection, he gives you new life both now and forevermore. He gives you everything you need. But that's just the beginning of it. There's more, much more, because he gives the Holy Spirit to enable you and to fill you up with his presence. God, very God, living inside of your chest. And then he gives you spiritual gifts so you can make a difference in this world. He gives you the church. He gives you a spiritual family. He gives you the Bible so you don't have to wander in darkness and you can build on a foundation of truth. And then he gives you the second coming of the Jesus where he returns and he takes and renews the whole heavens and earth and he makes it all brand new and then he gives you eternal life now and forevermore he gives it all to you and it is free so you want to be like Jesus learn to give Jesus gives generously it's about sanctifying your heart you want to be like Jesus be generous, radically, audaciously, 
joyfully. Just a reminder right now, Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Joy and generosity. The second thing is sancti- not just sanctification. The second thing is this. It's about sacrifice. I talked with a woman the other day. We were having her, her and her husband were having lunch and they were praying through their multiply commitment. They said, we're just not ready yet. I just don't know if like God has given us that number yet. But the Lord did speak to, speak to me, and here's what he said. Make it hurt. You know why? Because it's not generosity if it doesn't require sacrifice. It's not generosity unless it costs you something. If you got $100 and you give someone one, is that generous? You say, well, I gave them something. But that's not generosity. Generosity is when you feel it, when it costs you something when it hurts. Here, here's how we know. People right now are thinking like, well, yeah, but the widow, the widow, she only gave two pennies. Jesus said she gave it all. Yeah. Wow. The, the, the woman with the alabaster jar, what does she do? She breaks the flask and she pours it out. She does not measure out her sacrifice. And then Jesus says, what she has done for me will be remembered as long as the gospel is preached. Because she did not measure her sacrifice, God multiplied her sacrifice. And then we see this in King David's life. It says that I will not offer God something that does not cost me everything. And so he bought the field for 50 shekels of silver. Because he understood, just like we should understand, that generosity always requires a sacrifice. Look look what it says here. He says, and in this matter, I give my judgment that this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well. If your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there and is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what they do not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you would be burdened, but as a matter of fairness, that you would supply their need and they would supply your need as a matter of fairness. Now, let me start off by saying this. You cannot give what you don't have. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. Like if you go ahead and grab your, your gift chart right here, it's in your book, open up, go ahead and take a look at your gift chart. Look on the back of it. What you're gonna notice is there is a whole bunch of, of numbers here. And these are the gifts that are required in order for us to accomplish our secondary goal of three million in generosity. And as you, you look at the back of it, you're probably like me and your, your eyes go immediately to that top number, right? You look at it, you're like, $300,000. You're like, I wish I could, but I can't because you can't give what you don't have and you should not feel bad about that. But I do believe in faith that there is a person who is in this room and in our church who can actually meet that top gift need. And so they're praying right now about whether or not that's them. And so please pray about that. But everyone will find themselves somewhere on this chart. Maybe it's not 300,000, maybe it's 30,000, maybe it's 3,000. But everyone has a part to play in what God is doing here. Everyone can give at some level. Some people can give more, some people can give less, but it's about all of us giving together. And so if you're like that, that woman and you're like, how do, I, how do I do that? See, look, for her, the, the readiness is there. Say, well, where is the readiness? Where's it at? I'm looking at my wallet. It's not there. Where's the readiness? I'm looking at my bank statement. It's not there either. I opened up my every dollar app by Dave Ramsey, checking my budget. (laughs) The readiness ain't there either. 
Where's this readiness at? Well, the readiness is in your heart. The readiness is there. If God's given you the, the, the will to, then he's going to also give you the want to, right? If God gives you the vision, he will supply the provision to be able to accomplish that. Like generosity requires faith. And so what do you do if you're like this woman and you're like, I believe God's called me to give something that I cannot afford to give. What is that if that's you? Well, here's what you need to know. That question is not always what you should give, but sometimes it's what you should give up. It's not always what you should give, but sometimes it's, it's what you should give up. That's what sacrifice means. It means giving up what you want now so that way you can gain what you want the most. It requires a sacrifice. So for an example, we have a, a family in our church that they were saving up to buy a home and they decided through the Holy Spirit that they would give their down payment for their home and they would wait two years and then they would buy a house after multiply is over. So they, they made a significant down payment towards the multiply campaign. Another person in one of our first Wednesday prayer nights, whenever they were leaving, God spoke to his wife and said, I want your husband to sell his Jeep and give it to the church. And she said, God, you're gonna have to talk to my husband about that. <laughs> so then they get in the car and she asked, she said, did, did, did God speak to you? He said, yeah, I think God wants me to sell my Jeep. $14,000 commitment on top of their normal tithes and offerings. Like there, there's another woman she wanted to give and she wants to be generous, but, but she was already giving as much as she could. And so she met her tithe and she's like, pastor, I, I, I have the readiness, but I just don't have, I have the desire, but I just, I can't meet it. So we helped try to think through some creative ways that she could meet the goal that God had given to her. And she just realized, hey, I actually recently quit smoking cigarettes and said, well, how many packs a day? She said, two packs a day. I said, well, how much is that? She's like, about $12. I said, let's multiply that by 365 times two, over $10,000 extra above her tithes and offerings she was able to commit to multiply. Not because of what she had, but because of what she was willing to give up. It's not always about what you give, but sometimes it's about what you give up. Me and Ashley, in order for us to reach our multiply goal, we had to give something up. So we decided that once her car is paid off, then we're gonna roll her car note into our multiply commitment. It's an extra 350 a month, but you know what? It's gonna make a big difference. Because it's not about what we give, sometimes it's about what we give up. It's about sacrifice. Generosity teaches us to sacrifice. Now, some of you may be thinking, you're like, but Byron, in comparison to $3 million, your 350 really ain't that big of a deal. Like, praise God, she quit smoking cigarettes, good for her health, but what is that good for the church? Like, it's only $10,000. We need $3 million. It's not gonna make a difference. And so some people would feel like their gift is too insignificant, therefore it excuses them from participating in the generosity. But I just need to remind you something, is that you are not responsible for all of this. That's why he says, I don't write this to you so that way you would be burdened and that they would be, their burdens would be lifted, but that everybody would participate so that there might be equality in the church. It's about you doing your part and you doing your part and they're doing their part and I'm doing my part and 100% engagement. Guys, it means if you call Redemption Home, we all give together. So let me give you an illustration of what this looks like. Can I get some, some helpers up here? I'm gonna give you a little illustration because some of you still don't get it. You're like, man, you know, like I wanna give, but my giving's really not gonna make that big of a significance. It's not gonna make that big of a difference. And so you think it gives you permission to be excused from getting in on what God is doing. So let me give you an illustration of what 
is going to happen through, through multiply. Let's give it up for my team. Aren't they amazing? Aren't they amazing? Now, for OSHA purposes, can I get somebody to come stand behind me and hold this? There we go. Let me show you what our generosity looks like here at Redemption, okay? So if you pull out your gift chart and you look at that, can y'all see me good? All right, if you look at your gift chart, you will probably find by the will of God and by the Holy Spirit where you will kind of fall in line here at Redemption. So you take what your normal tithes and offerings are, you multiply it by two, pray and ask God, okay, what is my expanded giving? And that's where you kind of find your number. And some of you will find it and you're like, but you know what, my gift is only like, my two-year commitment's only gonna be like $10,000. That's not a whole lot. It doesn't really make that big of a deal. Like if this is the three million that's required, and this is my, this is, this is my two-year commitment of $25,000, like it's a lot to me, but it's not a lot to multiply. And then you, some of you, you're like, he just said 25,000? Good luck, I can't even do 1,200. You're like, I've never given before. I'm committing $500. It's not gonna be that big of a deal. It feels like it's almost a waste sometimes. And then you're thinking, oh, what about that person who said they could do 300? $300,000? Oh my gosh, look how big their gift is. But, I mean, it makes more of an impact, but... It's not significant. 300,000 is not even that significant when you take up 3 million. I mean, you're looking at 5,000 here. You're looking at 1,200 here. Maybe, maybe someone's like in faith. I mean, we got kids right now who are getting ready to make their generosity initiative plans and redemption kids, and they're collecting quarters right now, and they're having a game between boys and girls who can raise the most money in the elementary. And you know what? At the end of the day, boys or girls, it's probably not even enough to buy a new chair. Why would you teach the children to be generous? Why would you do that? It's a waste. It's insignificant. It's not going to make that big of a difference. At the end of the day, we can all, we can all play our part, but it's, not, it's, it's, it's just not enough. But it's because you're, you're looking at it the wrong way. Because it, it's, it's never been about the money, guys. It's always been about the mission. It, it's never been about the money. It's always been about the heart. And it's about God getting the hearts of the people who call redemption home. And if everybody would go all in together, your gift and my gift and their gift, that 300,000 met with the 3,000 and the 300 and the 500 and your obedience matched with their obedience and your heart with their heart, you don't give alone. We all go together. And when we give, here's what you need to know, my friends. It is not the size of the gift. It is the sacrifice of the giver. God does not bless you based on the size, but the sacrifice. When we all pitch in, when we all play our part, when we all give together with one will, one heart, one mind, when we're all in this together, God will take it, bless it, multiply it, and it will change the world. It's not about the size, it's about the sacrifice. So let's give it up for our team, come on. And here's the final point. As we close, it's lastly about surrender. Paul closes out and says, as it is written, whoever gathered little had no lack, but whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Paul here is going all the way back to the book of Exodus chapter 16. 
And he's reminding his church about a time when God showed up and showed off. What is he doing? He's bringing them back to the book of Exodus when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery. And they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. What was God doing in that time? He was teaching them how to surrender. You know why? Because you can take the, you can take the Israelite out of Egypt, but it's really hard to take the Egypt out of the Israelite. 40 years they wandered in the wilderness learning to trust God and to surrender and lay down their idols. And so here's how God provided for them with something called manna. Say, what's manna? Manna is, what is it? You say, well, what, is, what does that mean? No, literally the word manna means, what is it? Like nobody knows. They think it's some sort of bread that met all the nutrients and the needs that they had. And so every morning they would wake up and the ground would be covered in manna. And there'd be two types of people. There would be the one person who goes out and they grab as much as they can and they steal and they take and they hoard and they get it all for themselves and they run back to their tents and then they just stuff it all away. And then there was the other person who went out and they only got what they needed. And what does Paul say? Exodus 16 says this, the one who gathered much, it was all rotten by the end of the day. But the one who gathered little never ran out. What what is God doing there? What is God doing there? What what he's doing is this. He's saying, do you trust me to be your provider? Do you trust me to be your source? Do you trust me to be the one who cares for you? Have you yet learned to surrender? Generosity is about saying, God, I trust you and I surrender to you. Do you know that money promises the same thing that God can provide you? Money says, oh, I will give you identity. I will give you purpose, passion. I will give you success. I will give you joy. I will give you happiness. You know why? Because money is in the wrong heart, a idol and a false demonic God. You know that? That's why, that's why the Bible refers to it as mammon. Jesus says mammon. What is that? It's the God of money. Behind money, if it is unredeemed, there is a demonic stronghold over it. That's why it's so hard for people to give it up. Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. You must choose which one you're going to follow. And you can go out and you can try to get as much money as you can. And you can try to hoard it and save it. And you can find your identity and wealth and security. And it can be your God, but it will rule over you. Or you can just surrender to me and I will provide for you. Here's what you need to know. You have two choices. You can worship God with your money or you can worship money as your God, but you can't do both. I think there's a story of a man in our church who perfectly sums this up. I want to introduce you to to Bobby's testimony. My name is Bobby, um, and this is my story. I grew up in a scarcity mindset, so I didn't have a lot. Uh, So that's one reason that I became a pharmacist, uh, for the finances, right, for the money. So fast forward to COVID, um, the world is crazy, everything's going on. And I found the stock market and stock trading. um, And I instantly fell in love uh, for easy money, right? Um, started really obsessing about it, um, trading day and night um, and learning and researching, going crazy. Uh, still working, um, 
the whole time. So that seed grew and I got obsessed with to be as rich as possible. Um, so um, fast forward a little bit more, I started uh, delivering favor, um, delivering waiter, Instacart, um, after work, right? Um, anything to get an extra dollar. Um, keep in mind, my family didn't need anything. We're totally fine. Our finances are good. I didn't owe anyone anything. Um, so exhausted and burnt out, um, I'm sitting at work one day and um, I just kind of was broken that day. Um, I lost it and started crying um, and just really cried out to God. I don't know what I'm doing, what's going on. Uh, so um, I just felt like I've been trying to do everything myself and so I finally gave up and gave in and said, you know what, I'm going back to church. Uh, I made that decision that moment. Um, went home and told my wife and family, we're going to Redemption Church uh, this Sunday, right? Like, I have to. Well, that same night I got an email um, from our um, senior leadership at my job and our, my previously canceled um, annual bonus was reinstated um, and that $15,000 would be in my bank account um, the next day. Um, I mean, it was just amazing. Uh, I really think God was just showing off, um, letting me know that, you know, He'll give me anything I want um, as long as I'm trusting in Him, right, and give Him control. Uh, so that was huge for me. Uh, and that's how we got to redemption. So since then, um, it seems like the more we tithe, uh, the more we have. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and month after month, we give more uh, to people, to causes, and we have more. Um, and I can't explain it. Um, so um, it, the multiplication is um, definitely a God thing. Trusting God is the most important thing. Um, usually money is the last idol that people want to give up. And um, if you can really sacrifice that and give it to God and let Him uh, control what's al already His, um, He'll multiply for you, you know, a hundredfold. Multiply is growth. Um, it's about... Um, rapid growth, right? So um, growing people's faith, growing um, life, um, growing our trust in God, um, growing our impact uh, on the world. Amazing. It's amazing to hear stories of life change. I think Bobby's testimony perfectly sums up what was going on in the Corinthians. Here's what he says is, whoever gathered much had little left over, had nothing left over, but whoever gathered little had no lack. See, my friends, the reason that God tells us to be generous is not because God needs our money. It's because God wants our heart. He wants for you to be sanctified, to be more like Jesus. He wants you to, to sacrifice, to give up something so you can gain something better. He wants you to surrender to say, God, everything I have is yours and I, I trust in you. Dear church, multiply is not about the money, it's about the heart.
Our primary goal is the heart because we believe that when God gets your heart, then it will flow through your hands because those who have received much are expected to give much as well. Another way we would say it is this here at Redemption is that what God does in you, God wants to do through you. Have you been a recipient of the grace of God? Then you are a conduit of the grace of God. What God does in you, you have received from God. Therefore, we give generously back to the Lord. He says, I say this not as a command. I can't make anyone do this. But to prove your earnestness before others that your love is genuine. Why? Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you received the grace of God? Have you received the gift of salvation, the free love of Jesus? Have you received the blessings and favor, his forgiveness? Has he shown himself to be good and to be faithful in your life, my friends? That is the primary goal. It is about putting God first. The secondary goal, if we put God first, everything else is gonna handle itself. It's about sacrifice. It's about sanctification. It's about surrender. So I got some homework. Go ahead and open up your journey guidebook. If you didn't get it and you didn't raise your hand, I got one more opportunity for you. Come meet me at the desk in the lobby. I have a whole lot of additional information. Come meet me, pick you up a guide. But if you open up your guide, there's devotionals in here. And if you go to week one's devotional, there's a question on it right here. It's a study through 2 Corinthians this week. And there's a question on here. And here's what it says at the very bottom. It says, what are the greatest blessings God has given me in my lifetime? You know, my my Nana always said this, the hardest math is counting your blessings. Sometimes the reason you don't think that you can give is because you don't realize how much you've already been given because you're always thinking about wanting more instead of being grateful for what you have. But that's next week's sermon. We'll talk about that later. I want you to take 15 minutes this week before small group or big group, and I want you to write out as many things you're thankful that God has blessed you with over your lifetime. Write them out, write out as many as you can. Sit there and just write them all out. And then I want you to ask yourself this question as you're praying over your commitment card. The first question is this, is my commitment gonna sanctify me? Like, is this gonna help me be more like Jesus? Number two, is this gonna require sacrifice? Like, God, if you don't show up, it ain't happening. Because it ain't generous if it doesn't require faith. It ain't generous if it doesn't require sacrifice. Number three, is this going to help me surrender my life to Christ? 